put away the men's Bible, the women's Bible. Just read the Bible. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Uh, seek Christ. You know, whether you're a man or a woman, um, and um, there's a time and a place for the conversations about the the fringes of the the Venn diagram. And for those, we look to Scripture, not to culture. Yeah. Um, or to evolutionary biology or whatever. Um, but <laughs> yeah. uh, but in in those fringe points, we do need to say what the Bible says. Welcome to Reformed Podmatics, a weekly podcast hosted by Pastor Mark Van Dyke and Pastor Zach Dewey of Almond Valley Christian Reformed Church in Ripon, California. In each episode, we strive to apply Reformed theology to life and ministry in the 21st century. Thanks for joining us for this week's conversation. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Reformed Podmatics. I am Pastor Mark. And I'm Pastor Zach. And uh, we thank you for joining us for this week's episode. We've been a little bit less regular in our episode production lately, so we apologize for that. Um, I don't know exactly the reason for that. We've been bouncing around in different ministry things over the past few weeks, and so uh, hoping to get yeah. back onto a normal recording schedule um, with all of our interviews that we did recently, that took a little bit extra time, and maybe we're just yeah. recovering a little bit from putting a little bit more into the podcast in the last month and a half or so. But we've heard yeah. a lot of uh, encouraging, positive feedback from those interviews, and um, we thank you for reaching out to us, um, sometimes with some good constructive criticism, which we're thankful for, and uh, and some good feedback on those conversations we had. Thank you for doing that to those who have liked and subscribed and emailed. Um, and if you haven't done that yet, one way that you could actually help the podcast a lot is um, now or after you listen, uh, if you're on Spotify, to, to give us a, a review. And uh, it takes a, a, just a few seconds. Or if you're on Podbean yeah. to or comment iTunes. or like or iTunes, you can do this as well. Um, and that, that does help us um, sort of spread the word of, of what we're doing, trying to offer helpful biblical instruction on matters that pertain to Christian life, to being a disciple of Jesus in the year 2023. And today we really want to get practical, and we're talking about this topic of masculinity. And so this isn't just a podcast for men to listen to, but it's something that men and women need to think deeply and hopefully biblically about because our world certainly has lots of teaching for us on what it means to be a man, what it means to be a woman, um, if it even means anything. And so there are there is constantly a catechesis that is happening in our culture and the uh, mm. the catechism of the world is moving more and more in the direction of um, breaking down gender differences and um, we want to look into the scriptures concerning what it means to be a man today. Um, they could overlap a little bit. Well, we might sort of trail off into some discussions on femininity, but we, we want to stay focused today on masculinity and, and what that looks like from a Christian perspective. Yeah, and some people may wonder, how do we choose our episode topics mm -hmm. uh, week to week? Uh, it mostly just kind of happens organically, to be honest. We usually will sit down and talk uh, a couple times throughout the week, Mark and I, and through conversation, something will just kind of stick out and we'll think that's a good episode subject that we can talk about and probably should talk about. 
And so for us, uh, for me, I've been hearing some of the uh, young men in our church talk about different uh, influencers online, just making references to them, neither really uh, giving them rave reviews or saying negative things about them, just kind of joking around about things that they hear on online, whether that's YouTube or Instagram or TikTok or who knows what. <laughs> uh, and so beginning be, begun to sort of think that it might be good for us to do an episode on this topic of masculinity. And that's for several reasons, really. I think that we live in a world where more and more popular culture is beginning to uh, – or not really beginning, but has been for quite some time, uh, sort of downplaying or ridiculing or pushing aside men. Uh, I, I think that where we are in the sort of story of feminism um, in the 21st century is that many, many young men are growing up feeling like it's becoming more and more a female world. If the future is female is the shirt that everybody sees. Uh, I think on on TV and in movies and just in popular culture in general, young boys are seeing that this world is, it's not exactly a place that's uh, happy to have them. That's mm-hmm. how it feels for young men, I think today. Mm-hmm. And so you can, you can sort of see that in different professions, more and more women are uh, not only becoming uh, doctors and uh, other kinds of skilled professions where men historically uh, dominated more and more women now actually are dominating those kinds of professions schooling uh, you see more women going into university and graduating with college degrees and even advanced degrees uh, and so I think young men feel like it's a difficult place for them or they maybe they don't have a whole lot of purpose whether or not we agree with with that sort of assessment I think that that's how young men feel. I think that's that's true, and so in this world, I think that I think that there's been a movement now towards sort of the manosphere, the sort of rise of masculinity, but it's often in a very unhealthy way, reactive, yeah, yeah, reactive way. Yeah. So this would be uh, guys like like Andrew Tate being being a big one. Um, Certainly Driscoll of, a handful of years ago. Yeah, Mark Driscoll the, kind the of would have played into yeah. this, would have fit kind of as the Christian leader within this kind of movement. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's all kinds of other YouTuber personalities uh, like, uh, uh, what are the name of the two brothers? I forget their name. They're the uh, the boxers. Um, the, I don't know. The the, uh, the Paul brothers, Logan oh. and Jake Paul. Oh, yeah. Uh, I think of them. and shows <laughs> what I know. <laughs> there's other guys like Sneeko, which I just heard about recently. Uh, there, there's all kinds of YouTuber personalities. The Liver King, I, f- I found it yesterday as I was kind of researching this sort of stuff. Uh, all kinds of YouTube guys that p- teach young men, young boys in particular. I think that their followings are mostly, I would say, on average 14 or 15-year-old boys. Uh, what it means to be a man in a world that's that's hateful towards you, and you know I, I'm not a fan of the to- terminology of toxic masculinity. I think when I hear it, most of the time I just he- hear people saying that masculinity is toxic, mm. which I think is absolutely false. Uh, but in sort of doing a deep dive on all of this, I've had a slight change of heart that there is a form of toxic masculinity, and it's this kind of stuff uh, on on what you might call the intellectual dark web. Mm. Um, and so young men are really struggling, and I think that they're finding uh, 
wisdom, they would say wisdom. I wouldn't call it wisdom. They're finding advice, encouragement from all kinds of uh, individuals and influencers uh, that I think are really unhelpful and actually are creating more problems uh, in society uh, than they're solving. Uh, And so I think this is a subject that just me as a youth pastor and thinking about the the young men that I work with uh, and disciple, that this is something that should be spoken into. And I, f- I feel like if it's a problem here, then it's a problem probably elsewhere as well. And so it's something that we can discuss uh, through this podcast and hopefully give people some helpful thoughts on. Yeah, um, there's there's a lot of confusion. And that's in yeah. the church and evangelical churches. Um, there's a, If we want to look at kind of a cultural snapshot of how how men are portrayed. Um, Kristen Cobes Dumay, I know we've mentioned her a, a handful of times on the podcast. Oh um, no, Mark, you're doing it again. <laughs> I know, I know. But um, she do, she does an, an interesting job in terms of like the cultural representatives of like who is, uh, the, the book is called Jesus and John Wayne. So like yeah. John Wayne being the, the prototypical figures. man. Mm-hmm. And, um, and then, so, you know, people could agree or disagree with that. I think there, there's probably a lot of credence to at, at, at least that that portion yeah. of understanding what masculinity is. Um, the guy on the white horse, you know, mm-hmm. with the cowboy hat, um, rugged, tough, doesn't take no guff from no one, you know. Yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, um, and so there are other cultural artifacts. Um, like I think it's interesting to consider like Star Wars, for example, or like hero movies. Mm. Um, so the the Star Wars that you and Isaac grew up with, Luke Skywalker was a great hero. He was an adventurer. Mm-hmm. He was yeah. uh, pure in heart. Um, he wanted to do what was right and good for the galaxy. Yeah. Um, he was putting himself in harm's way. He was noble. Um, and I, I just can't help but contrast that to the Luke Skywalker of the newest um, trilogy, where Luke is a major loser. Yeah, <laughs> like he has checked out. He's given up. Hmm. Um, he's a dropout dad, basically, is what he is yeah. in Episode Eight of the Last Jedi. And um, hmm. it's the same thing with Batman. So Batman, uh, you know, of course, yeah. the old Adam West Batman was campy and so forth. But um, <laughs> the one that I grew up with, Batman the animated series, was a great hero and very noble uh, against what is evil and for what is good. And then again, you look at the Christopher Nolan Batman series, Batman and, and Batman begins. He's a loser. He's started. He's just hiding out in his attic up in the, at the beginning yeah. of the movie. He's just done. He doesn't want to be Batman anymore, yeah. you know, and, and how that trope hmm. is, is just again and again, we're, we've seen these men who we, who were, we were told were heroes hmm. um, in our childhood are being deconstructed to really wonder if being a hero is, is good at all. There's the, the episode, um, um, Iron Man, uh, uh, Captain America civil war where they fight against each other. That's, that's at the core of that is like, are we even really heroes, you know? Um, and so that deconstruction of a, a lot of times what is actually virtuous behavior um, loving what is good, I think especially in Luke Skywalker's case, hmm. um, into just cynical giving up on life. The woman's going to come and fix things now. That, that's sort of the Ray character, right? Um, yeah. And uh, that's that's the feminist vision of, of kind of where a lot of people want the world to go. 
is is this this new Star Wars trilogy. Yeah. Um, and I, I think that plays into the way that our our world today sees this as like the the men versus women is yeah. like an eternal war. Yeah, and there can't be any real peace. Uh, it, it has to be an overturning of the tables and uh, to to right the wrongs. We must not only seek for an, an equilibrium. We must seek for the downfall of men and for the the rise of women. That's that's how feminism, in some of its more popular forms, not all feminism, that's we should say, uh, suggests that. But I think in some ways, feminism justifies belligerent behavior that pushes men down actively as a form of justice. Uh, and so, yeah, this makes me think a little bit about the Barbie movie. There's a lot to say <laughs> sure. about all of that. In, in, in all honesty, the Barbie movie, I think, tries to have a place for men at the end. I, I was thinking about this the other day hmm. and, and going through it. And this, I don't want this episode to turn into a Barbie movie review. Uh, but I, I, I d- have not seen it, gladly. <laughs> I, but, I don't uh, <laughs> think that Ben Shapiro's take is a great take, personally. Hmm. Um, there's more, I think more to think about it than what he says there's more there's more depth to it um and part of part of what we're we're getting at here is what is our epistemology in determining what a man should be yeah uh, yeah that's a great starting point so (laughs) the barbie movie has an epistemology of what a man should be star wars has a new epistemology that has changed from what a man should be from what the new trilogy is to what the original was Mm -hmm. um and you know, I in preparation for this podcast, I listened to a podcast, what what I would consider probably to be a feminist podcast, although it wasn't kind of a militantly feminist podcast. Uh, isn't the is it the whole point of the show? I'd never heard of it. So no, um, it, it it they the podcast was called um, Men and Men and Now and now it's, and, it's, now and men now and men. Yeah. sorry. Um, and uh, it's a it's from a university with um, some I think some professors who just talk with scholars but just about all the titles of the podcast episodes were feminist okay, in so nature it's like a feminist and, show. Okay. and so i listened to an, an episode where um there was a lot of confusion i mean the person wasn't admitting to their confusion but there's epistemological confusion on how to determine what a man should be like um this person was saying well evolutionary biology shows us that with all these different species there's um, sometimes there's a male-dominated society like with chimpanzees. Other times there's a female-dominated society like with bonobos. And so um, we have uh, some DNA connections uh, to some of these, these other species. And so which one are we going to go with, the bonobo society or the chimpanzee <laughs> society? And that's almost the epistle, epistemological or, or sort of uh, hunger for knowledge problem that a lot of people have in this gender question. Mm-hmm. Um I know that Jordan Peterson's been criticized as looking to uh, lobsters, right, for <laughs> for their uh, their neurological sensors. And well, doesn't so he forth. argue that they are evolutionarily related to us? He does, and so <laughs> that is an epistemological problem for the Christian. I would say that yeah. be, because of um, the existence of a structure in certain species. Um, humans who are made in the image of God are trying to learn more about Hmm. our structures based on what lobsters or bonobos or chimpanzees. Um, We have the Bible. Yeah. Let's not get our morality from the animal. Yeah, exactly. Um, And and you see that a lot with things like homosexuality, for example, too. Um, And uh, 
we go to the Bible, okay? So we're going to try to go to the Bible um, throughout this this episode here. I mean, we're a handful of minutes already into it, and we haven't quoted Scripture yet. We'd, we're but, setting the stage, Yes, Mark. trying to, the stage. <laughs> to preface this with just recognizing how confusing it is when you don't have an objective standard like Scripture. Yeah. So... Um, there, there are the sort of the evolutionary understanding of it, which um, I actually don't don't think is going to be that helpful for us. But then there's also the cultural understandings that um, evangelical Christians have often gotten very caught up into. Mm-hmm. See your Driscoll or your uh, Wild at Heart by John Eldridge, where there's a very specific cultural application for what it means to be masculine it means to be a hunter it means to love braveheart you know um it's it's all these things which is probably not going to be all that helpful for a um south african man asking why he (laughs) what what it means for him to be a man or you know so forth so um what does it mean to be a man according to the scriptures uh zach you want to uh, give your shot here at, at uh... yeah. So there's a lot that can be said. The scriptures have a lot to say about about manhood, uh, and so as I was thinking about what the scriptures say about masculinity and manhood, there's there's many different angles I think you can go down. And so the, I, I sort of thought about the big picture angle, just mm. looking at creation. You can look at the story of Genesis two uh, in the Garden of Eden. Um, and then you can sort of think about just um, archetypal images throughout the Bible, um, God as father, God as husband, and then how we're called in Ephesians 5, which I think looms large in this discussion mm-hmm. about about manhood, even though it's specifically only to husbands, um, and it's not to all men then, not all, not all men get married or need to get married. Um, but I, I think those sort of archetypal images are important in the conversation. So we can think of God as father throughout the Old Testament and the New. Of course, it's not as prevalent a theme in the Old Testament, uh, but it does come up. For example, in Isaiah 64, uh, we read, O Lord, you are our father. We are we are the clay and you are our potter. We are all the work of your hands. Uh, but th- this was, of course, not a popular way of thinking about God in the Old Testament, which is why when Jesus teaches us to pray to our Father who art in heaven in the New Testament, in the Gospels, uh, this strikes a chord in a bad way with many of uh, his Jewish Jewish audience uh, who think of it as being sort of blasphemous that he would refer to God as his Father. Mm. Uh, but it's nevertheless true. God is our Father. Uh, not only in the sense that he created us, but also in the sense that he has redeemed us, he has saved us, he has provided for us for all that we need. Uh, of course, also in the Old Testament, there's God as husband, um, which we see, I think, in its clearest form in the book of Hosea, mm-hmm. uh, where there's the imagery of Israel as the adulterous wife uh, who is committing sort of what's depicted as sexual sin by worshiping uh, false gods, particularly the god Baal. Uh, And so that book is about, it portrays uh, through that imagery of of a husband and a wife, uh, God's God's role as the man here uh, is is interesting. Uh, But Ephesians 5, we see this all come to, I think, a head where husbands are called to love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed 
her by the washing of water with the word so that he might be present or that he might present the church, sorry, to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish. Uh, And so this at the very least gives us a big picture image of Christ and the church, the church being the bride of Christ. And so Christ uh, dies, he gives himself, he, uh, he does all things for her that he may cleanse her and wash her and purify her. And so a husband in a similar way will give his life for his wife. And so there's things to say there. Mm-hmm. We can also then look into biblical examples of good men. You could just mm-hmm. think of all the books that are written about David, for example, uh, as, a, as a great man, a good man after, God, after God's own heart, of course, um, yeah, who sinned? Who sinned? Terribly, was very and then, imperfect, and then repented. Yeah, that's a part of his goodness. Is exactly. His repentance. Yeah, um, and so we could look at the prophets. Of course, that we would need to focus in on more than anything else on Jesus as the example of a man. Um, so to be a man, I think, and just sort of zooming out now on all of this, to be a man according to uh, the scriptures. Uh, this may sound like something that's true for women too, and I think it is in certain ways. Uh, but to be a man is to is to provide, to give, to build, to make, to also die to yourself, and to do all of this for the good of others, for the good of those around you. To to give of what you've been given for the sake of others, so that they may be blessed uh, and encouraged in their faith, encouraged in their life. And so this is what this is what men do. Men die to themselves, and that's true of women too. That's the, mm-hmm. that's a Christian call, uh, indeed. Uh, but I think that it, it, there's a, there's emphases mm-hmm. here, and so actually prior to our recording, even here, Mark and I have been talking about how men and women are they exist really on a Venn diagram, and there's a, there's way more overlap and similarity between men and women than there is difference uh, between them. Nevertheless, there is a difference and there is a distinction that needs to be made. The Bible makes this distinction. Um, mm-hmm. I, I think we can get in, we can go really deep too and just think about the archetypal imagery um, of men and women's bodies. I think that that's a a route that can be as biblically warranted. It's personally. relevant. It's a relevant thing. Yeah. yeah. Uh, we so that I think that there's a place, and I think we're going to get into this discussion here a little bit about the place of natural theologies uh, or natural revelation, you might say, uh, in helping us to sort of probe the depths of what it means to be a man. Uh, It can point us in certain directions, but uh, men are, I think, their bodies show something and women's bodies show something. Women's bodies uh, are less muscular. (laughs) We can go into that old trope. Generally. But yeah, generally, that's a huge, huge point. Um, But women's bodies have propensities and abilities to do things that men's bodies cannot do. Uh, My wife is currently pregnant with our first child. I guess that's my first announcement on the podcast. Uh, Our church knows, everybody (laughs) in my life knows. Uh, And it's just amazing to me to see what her body can do. Uh, and it's difficult for her. Uh, it's been it's been uh, not always great all along the way. Obviously, and I think every every woman who's gone through pregnancy knows what I'm talking about. Um, but it's a, it's just profoundly amazing to mm-hmm. see that 
her body is giving life to our child. That's something I could never wish to do. I never <laughs> could do, never could pull that off. Uh, her body is beautifully designed to do what it is currently doing. And my body is designed to do other things. Uh, and so I think I can give of my resources, my physical resources and gifts mm -hmm. to serve her. Um, and so, yeah, I, I think there's a lot to that. And the biblical imagery of the garden of, of Eden and creation, mm -hmm. there's so much to that too with, with Eve being created out of Adam's rib. Um, I think the old Matthew Henry quote, which is something like it, she was taken from his rib to show that she was neither be neither below him or above him, but uh, she is side by side with him. Mm. Something to that effect. Yeah. That's not the exact quote. Uh, but I, I think that there's something profoundly beautiful to that. Uh, she is made as a helper for him. I, I think that that's an important part too. Uh, it's also helpful to look at chapter three of Genesis to think about the fall and what what post fall relations between men and women would look like, where mm. her desire will be for uh, for her husband, but he will rule over her. Uh, that's interesting. Uh, mm -hmm. I think that's and that's profoundly true. You look at the history of humanity, and I think women women in many ways have been domineered by men. In, in sick ways and unhealthy ways. Uh, nevertheless, there is that pre-fall relationship uh, that existed, uh, which I think is a beautiful, a beautiful thing. Men and women working together, husbands and wives working together uh, to have dominion over the world um, and to build and make things together, to build families together. To, to take of the natural resources of the world together and use it to benefit posterity and to, uh, and everything around them uh, to, to sort of take what God has given us and to break it down and remake it into into something that's good for humanity, good for others. Uh, so yeah, there's just a lot. My mind mm -hmm. can it could I could keep wandering like this. I'm not sure how helpful it would be, but there's all kinds of yeah. angles that we could go down. Yeah. I, I hope I, I'm getting that across. <laughs> that's my stab at it. Yeah, and so no, I'll, I'll pause there. <laughs> that's great. Um, I um, I that Venn diagram is. I, I want to come back to that. It was really good uh, point that you made because I that's so important. That that's one of the crit criticisms of say a Kristen Cobes Dumay of modern evangelical understandings of masculinity and it's a fair criticism where yeah. you have things like men's bibles and women's bibles <laughs> yeah and um men's ministry that is is kind of more about being macho and yeah. outdoorsy than than christ-like and women's ministries that's more about being crafty and um sort of yeah. you know just uh cutesy almost instead of being more christ-like so um, the the Venn diagram, maybe for those who are not familiar with that term, this is the idea of those those circles that you see, and there's overlap um, between the circles, and it's really that that overlapping area where um, there things are the same, things that could seem different in a lot of ways are actually the same and have a similarity, and so we see the the Venn diagram of male and female as significantly overlapping that men and women called to 
follow Jesus, trust in Jesus, um, obey the Ten Commandments, live yeah. sh- d- displaying the fruit of the Spirit, um, living with humility, uh, living a, uh, in a servant way, serving Christ, serving people, mm-hmm. caring for the poor, um, caring for, for our family members. Um, th- there's so much overlap there, but where we, I've also seen it um, go wrong, even in the Christian Reformed Church, is um, among those who are of a distinctly egalitarian approach, that those that Venn diagram would basically just be one circle and mm-hmm. gender actually isn't something that we should talk about all that much as being a difference between the two. So, and just, um, or Galatians 3, 20, right. 26 yep. would come up in, in discussion that there's neither male nor female. Yeah. We're all one in Christ. So let's not emphasize any of those distinctive features. Yeah. And um, part of the reason that complementarianism, this is uh, the belief that uh, those in authority in the home and in the church um, should be men, um, that that made a lot of sense to me is when I once heard John Piper say, when your son asks you, what does it mean to be a man? Hmm. We need to have an answer for, I have three sons. I need to have an answer for my three boys. What does it mean to be a man and not a woman? What does it mean to be a man who is different than a woman in some ways? Hmm. We should have good biblical answers for that question. And then when my daughter asks me or my wife, what does it mean to be a woman? Uh, well, many of those answers are going to be uh, follow Jesus, uh, but there's there are going to be some differences. Just like you you said, there are, there are physical differences, and yeah. um, and and God has um, in 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 many cases different plans for uh, what how a woman will function, for example, in the home versus how, how the man functions. And so, yeah, it's vocations, it's different vocations, different callings. Right. In my sermon series over the summer, I preached through Ephesians. And so of course I preached through Ephesians five. Um, and yeah, I I took umbrage in my, in my sermon. And I, I still would that I'm not really a fan of gender roles language as Mm. if there's different roles, um, and maybe it's a distinction without a difference, but I, I think of it as vocations. These are callings by God to to live into who we are created to be by him. I think our bodies, our physical bodies, are a calling on us to live in grain with that reality. And I think this is where uh, transgenderism and in, in its various ideologies and various forms uh, is really wrong. It, it, it it elevates the internal uh, thought life uh, and emotional life of the person over against the body as if the body is to be something that is to be disregarded and in a sense disobeyed. And mm. The Christian sees creation uh, as, as a clear statement of God's direction, God's calling on our lives on how we are to live. Uh, and so to have a female body then is a clear testament from God, our testimony of God to live in line with that body, uh, you are a female and you will be blessed in living in accordance with that. Mm-hmm. Uh, your life will will be, in general, improved by living in, a, in accordance with God's law. That's a broader Christian principle. We believe that we follow God's law 
not because we have to and we have to be mopey and sad about it, but because living with, according to God's law will actually bring blessing in a general sense. It doesn't mm-hmm. always do this. This is what the book of uh, Ecclesiastes is mm-hmm. largely talking about. Uh, you can you can live all these great ways, but it doesn't guarantee anything. But for the most part, uh, when women live as women who are happy to be a woman, proud to be a woman, uh, live in 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 tune with that, uh, it goes better. And the same same for men. And so the Christian actually will, I think, emphasize the body over the internal state. And so if your mind is telling you that you are one thing, you will be able to say, well, clearly my body is male. Clearly, therefore, God has designed me to be male. Mm. I may actually be blessed and find more joy and satisfaction and peace in life by living in accordance with God's calling on my life than trying to go against it the way that Jonah goes against the calling of God, for example. Uh, And so, yeah, we should see our bodies as callings. Mm. Um, I I also want to point out from Ephesians 5, while I have this in mind, uh, this is an interesting point that for me is quite profound and has has been in my head for a long time. So Ephesians 5.22, we read the words, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. And then he continues, For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now the point I want to make here is that Paul doesn't say in verse 23, For the husband should be or ought to be the head of his wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. Paul makes it in a a statement uh, about the, the the true nature of the case. Mm. The, the husband is the head of the wife. So husbands are the head of their wife, whether or not uh, they both consent to that or only one of them can, agrees to that <laughs> point. Uh, there, may be, there may be two non-Christians in a marriage who don't agree with this point. Uh, I think that this is an objective reality that's true of marriage. The husband is the head of the wife. Uh, that is how marriage works. Yeah. And so even if one or both don't consent to that being the case, it's not a matter of should be and should act like it. It's that he is. And so whether or not you are living in accordance with God's law in marriage uh, actually will affect your marriage greatly. Um, and so mm. this for me is in some sense freeing that, um, it's not that I should be, it's that I already am. And so I'm going, the way I live as a husband is going to greatly impact my wife, greatly impact my household. Um, and so I need to be sobered by that reality, uh, and to appreciate it for what it is and to live into it, that I may serve my, my wife in this way that I may give myself for her the way that Christ gave himself for the church. Uh, this is a, a Ultimately, then, the, the man and the relationship between a husband and wife is to die to self for the sake of the other. Yeah, to serve. Um, the world has an understanding, like what Jesus says, of what it means to lead. Um, yeah. And uh, and that's to dominate. That's <laughs> yeah. the word. The word that I heard a lot in the feminist podcast that I listened yeah. to was, who dominates? Who gets to dominate? Yeah, who has and, the power? And, and it wasn't said in like a very aggressive way, but if, if somebody, I kept thinking if I was actually reading a, a, a text of this, it would sound extremely aggressive because yeah. this word of domination was so often used. And 
um, um, the person wasn't trying to say that women need to dominate instead of men, hmm. but just hmm. that understanding of how the sexes relate to each other was hmm. was just just seeping through the conversation that it's a yeah. zero sum game. Yep. Somebody gets to win and the other person is going to lose. Yeah. Um, the Christian view of marriage in particular in Ephesians five is that it's, it's certainly for the, the husband leads by giving himself up for mm -hmm. the wife. That's how Christ leads the church, gave himself up for mm -hmm. her so that the church would have life. It's togetherness. Um, exactly. Um, submit to one another out of reverence to Christ. And, yep. um, and uh, yeah, so I, one other thing that I would, you know, in answering my son's questions that they'll probably have someday, what does it mean to be a man? It, it, it's right in line with what you were saying. I think it means to take responsibility. Hmm. Um, so taking responsibility for yourself and for, um, for people, uh, for people's well-being. Um, and I think that looks different for a man than it does for a woman. Um, so even for a man who's not married, it means to find ways to take responsibility yeah. up upon yourself. And, and that's what it means to lead, really, is to take responsibility. Not, not to dominate, not mm -hmm. to be the one in charge, but to be the one who says, I'm going to help you in this. And I'm actually going to be partly responsible for the outcome of the direction yeah. of my friend's life or, um, you know, for us as pastors, we're partly responsible for the spiritual direction of you, the youth group, um, and the, yeah. the, and the church to some extent and, and me, the, the church yeah. more broadly through my preaching ministry, I'm taking responsibility. Um, so I'm not dominating the church. Um, I was having this conversation with somebody who, who, uh, who, who disagrees with our, I'd say theology of gender hmm. and, and, and uh, he, he believed pretty strongly that we should have women elders and women pastors and so forth. And, and uh, because he, he works in the business world, this person who was saying this and, and uh, his understanding of being a leader is to be in charge. You know, you, yeah. you're the, you're making the hirings and the firings and that's sort of at the nature of leadership in, in the business world and, mm -hmm. and sometimes for the better. That's okay, that, that's what it could be in the business world. But in the church, we're not run like a business. And so mm -hmm. I, I was just talking with this person who had some knowledge of, of my ministry methodology. And, uh, and I would say, you've seen me, I, I serve these people. Mm -hmm. I'm not like running around telling people to, to you know, how to vote yeah. or, or how to um, like, you know, you know, in every little gray area of life, I'm sort of injecting myself into how they need to think, of, particularly in political kinds of ways. Yeah. You know, um, somebody had just passed away in our church when I was having this conversation. I'd said, I'm just serving this family. I just want to be there at the hospital mm -hmm. and encourage them. And that's a very weighty thing to do, actually. And uh, God has equipped men to to carry that responsibility for the church and for the family. And um, that, that seems to me what First Timothy 2 is actually saying, that um, a lot of people just point to the verse about teaching. I do not permit a, a woman to teach or have authority over a man. But if you look at the whole of First Timothy 2, it says the pastor has a father's heart. Um, how could a man lead the church if he can't lead his own family? Uh, so there it's referring to you need to take responsibility for your family and raise them up in the way of Christ so that you can show you could be responsible to 
to lead a whole church, a whole gathering of people in into the way of Christ. And um, you know, I, I, we find that in the Old Testament too. I just preached on Deuteronomy six this past week, and um, some translations kind of downplay the uh, Deuteronomy six is actually a command um, initially for fathers. Um, then it says, "Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one." And so, right before that, um, it says, um, "Listen to these rules that you may fear the Lord your God, you and your son and your son's son." Um, and I, other translations have "you and your children and your children's children." But I think within that that gendered command, there is you and your son. You're going to teach your sons to love the Lord your God with all their heart and soul, mind, and strength, and they will lead their families in that direction as well. This certainly isn't to say that women can't um, shepherd, uh, be, be spiritual shepherds in the home, and they, they should, but there's a, a special responsibility on uh, men to take, re- to take responsibility for the spiritual well-being of the family and, and of the church. Yeah, there's a certain way in which men are called to give structure in certain ways. And, and I think, yeah, women, women bring life into the world. Mm. That's kind of an archetypal thing. I think of mm. just the womb and you think about, you can think of Mary and, and Eve, uh, these, these great women who are sort of, you would, and some would say archetypical, uh, uh, sort of, uh, I would say parallels to one another, uh, through through Eve comes all of humanity, and through through Mary comes uh, the, the Christ who recreates all things. Uh, but through their their wombs comes life, and through women, I think, comes a kind of life that men can't have on their own. Hmm. Men wouldn't have on their own. A world of just men would be <laughs> not the greatest and 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 best place to be. Uh, and yeah, Bobbing talks about this in the Christian family about how the woman adds adds sort of a, a verve and a warmth to the home. Absolutely, yeah. 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 I, I just think about my life five years ago, prior to being married, <laughs> and what my my little tiny uh, home looked like. And then, as soon as my wife came into my life, things started to very drastically change, uh, and now are very, very different than they once were. And it's better. It's better for me. And I think it's better for her. We're better together. Uh, and that sort of beautiful togetherness is, I think, the the witness of the Christian scriptures hmm. uh, to the world, that actually it's better to be together. Now, again, there's definite concessions that need to be made here. The scriptures don't say that every human being ever needs to be married. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that shouldn't even be an expectation. Uh, it should be totally fine uh, for w- women and men to never be married. First uh, Corinthians seven tells us that. But at the same time, I would I like I think about my kids, and yes, as you have one on the way now, um, I'm I'm encouraging them to seek marriage. Yeah, you know, like because it's it's such it's a, a good, good thing. thing. And yeah. so singleness has been dismissed for a long time, and I I get the sense that singleness is really rising in, in a lot of the rhetoric about the goodness of singleness, which is a I biblical think, principle. Yeah, but yeah. I, w- I would always want to encourage, uh, generally speaking, not every individual person, but in general people to hold to the goodness of marriage. Yeah. Yeah. And how it's such a blessing to live in marriage. Right. Yeah. And so I think it's 
good to teach kids that marriage is a blessing. Yeah. It's some, something that should be uh, desired, uh, but doesn't doesn't have to be. Right. So there can yeah. be that kind of that and, kind of I think complexity to it. And that's what we tell um, our kids is um, it would be great if you're married someday, yeah, but if that's, that's not the it. Lord's will for you, then that's wonderful for yeah. you. So um, yeah. like it, it's hard to know how to parent, I guess when, <laughs> yeah. when the rubber really meets the road um, it can be difficult to, to flush that out. But um, yeah, I, part of this purpose of this episode, we kind of just want to um, make it official here where we yeah. stand. Like, um, obviously, we, we talk on the podcast about how we're a complementarian congregation. Both of us, uh, mm-hmm. that is our theological conviction, is the complementarian position. Um, and with that often comes so much confusion and misunderstanding of what we're even, what we even mean. Um, there's this spectrum of uh, how to think about men. And on one far end, you have an Andrew Tate that's just um, misogynistic, using women for his own sexual gratification, yeah. unashamed, uh, you know, unashamedly taking advantage of, of women. Um, and then you have a little bit closer, maybe towards the center of that spectrum, a Mark Driscoll who is almost sort of a Christian version of that, where so a lot of his rhetoric almost sexualizes women for, you know, the, the pleasure of of the man, and mm-hmm. uh, um, that's that's obviously not helpful. It's not even Christian to think in that way. Um, and then maybe a little bit closer towards the middle on that spectrum, you'd have somebody like John Eldridge with his Wild at Heart, which is still a very cultural understanding. You know, watch Braveheart, go hunting, um, <laughs> yeah. and and that's what it means to barbecue. be like a Christian man. Yeah, <laughs> stand at the barbecue with the kiss the chef apron on or whatever. <laughs> um, and then on the far a- other end of the spectrum, you would have gender doesn't matter or um, the future is female type stuff. And so um, we're we're just trying to be biblical in our understanding of what it means to be a man. John Calvin said, um, the Christian minister should say what the Bible says, nothing more and nothing less. Um, Unfortunately, in, I think in the Christian reformed church, we've said a lot less than what the Bible says about being a man. So much so that there would be some hesitance to say, husbands submit to your wives as Christ gave himself up for the church. And, and wives submit to your husbands as the church submits to Christ. And yeah. so just saying what the Bible says, that there's a different role that we yeah. play in marriage is what we're called to do. Um, and so, uh, yeah, we, we, we do want to say like, for example, I don't own a gun. Do you own a gun, Zach? I do not. You do not, not own yet. a gun. I've been okay. thinking about getting one, but I don't own one. I've right. never owned one. So we're not gun owners. We're not hunters. <laughs> we're not macho guys. We're not you know, I don't really want um, a gun. Yeah, for those reasons, I, I would just be just, just to have a gun for personal security, personally. Yeah, but unfortunately, <laughs> that's that's what being a man has even become in some yeah, Christian yeah. associated with those weird identity markers right. that are kind of extrinsic to what it really means to be a man. Yeah, and so we're sort of like just just going on record, I guess you would say as. We, we do believe God has a calling on a man that is, in some cases, different than the calling that he yeah. places on women. Yes. Um, generally, I, you know, put away the men's Bible, the women's Bible, just read the Bible, okay? Yeah, yeah. Uh, seek Christ, you know, whether you're a man or a woman, um, and 
um, there's a time and a place for the conversations about the the fringes of the the Venn diagram, and for those we look to scripture, not to culture, yeah, um, or to evolutionary biology or whatever. Um, but <laughs> yeah. uh, but in in those fringe points, we do need to say what the Bible says, and so uh, I guess that's where I would would want to fall, um, and that's how I, I plan to raise my my boys and my daughter. And generally, every day, we talk about following Jesus, praying, trusting in him, um, mm-hmm. showing love to others, compassion for the poor. And sometimes, occasionally, that's going to look like, well, God made you a boy, and let's figure out you know, what that's going to look like in your yeah. life. Yeah, my concluding thought will be, whether you're a woman or a man, think more about what it's like to be the other sex than it is to be your own sex. I think we can mm-hmm. get so st- caught up in thinking oh it's so much worse for my gender mm-hmm. uh, it's so much worse for my gender and here's why just focus more on what the other gender is going through you know full well what what it, what, it, what it's like to be a man if you're a man and what it's like to be a woman if you're a woman but i think we could do better uh, and live together in more peace uh, if we have more of an understanding of what it's like to be the other mm. uh, and then we can appreciate one another more and strive towards that biblical togetherness that I think we're advocating in this episode. So yeah, yeah thank you guys for listening. We hope it's been helpful and encouraging in some way and thought provoking. Uh, and as Mark said at the top of the episode, feel free to leave us a review. That would be really amazing and wonderful, not just for boosting our egos, but really for the show and for it getting out there to more and more people and helping uh, future potential listeners. So yeah, thank you again. And until next time, grace and peace. All right, bye.